I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Gang, I want to start uh, this week's episode with a letter that we got from a listener. A little bit of listener mail here. Uh, coming in. Letters at sickboypodcast.com. Letters at sickboypodcast.com. That's right. If you want to send us a letter, you can do it. Uh, uh, so this came in from Jimena. Did I pronounce that right, Lauren? Jimena. 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 What a beautiful name. It is a beautiful name. It is a beautiful name. Um, this is a little this is a little uh little correction, which which we really appreciate, um, especially coming from people who know what they're talking about, because the four of us do not. Uh from Jimena. I'm a genetic counselor and a longtime listener. I just listened to your newest podcast and love it. Loved it. I did I did want to maybe discuss some misinformation that was shared about genetic tests. I think it was Brian speaking about doing genetic testing, but the testing you get online and pay for yourself is not clinical and not comprehensive. Genetic testing is becoming more and more popular, but the tests that you can order online and pay for yourself, like 23andMe and Ancestry.com, are not clinical and they are recreational. For example, I don't know, dude. I, I don't know, dude, man. My 23andMe test. I told don't know, dude, man. I don't know, dude, man. I don't know, dude, point man, proven. But I'm just saying that my 23andMe test told bro, me bro, that bro. I don't think cilantro tastes like soap, and I don't know how much more comprehensive you can get than that. I'm just saying. Well, for you example, know? continuing, you know, dude, the letter, man. Good point, bro. For example, continuing the letter here, one of these tests would not be able to pick up Lee from any syndrome, TP53 mutations in quotes, and is very limited. Very limited. I think Jeremy also mentioned that some people have found that they have Huntington's through those, but that is not possible. The testing methodology cannot pick up that condition, and we actually have very strict protocol of testing individuals with a history of Huntington's. I think Brian was also mentioning that he had done this testing, but like I mentioned, this test is mostly recreational and not clinical. If someone is worried about their personal or family history, cancer for example, I would recommend they talk to a genetic counselor or a geneticist and not go through 23andMe like Brian has uh, Brian has just tried yeah, to st- well, stand on his soapbox and say. So I, guys, I am I'm so saying, glad I just say, that I've I, never I missed the mark as much as Brian has. I want to say again, though, <laughs> I, I hear what that person's saying, but I'm just saying, do you want to know if you likely have an aversion to drinking coffee or do you want to know if you have leaf or mini syndrome? I'm just saying, like... I I feel like the majority of people 
would rather do a 23andMe test than talk to a genetic counselor. I'm just Lauren and Lauren and Lauren and Jer. Lauren and Jer. I didn't. I didn't say this, but actually, after we had that conversation, Brian said to me privately, offside and off air, that um, he just wasn't even sure, like what the like what the practical what the practical use of like hospitals and blood and gene testing is in Mm -hmm. hospitals Mm -hmm. anymore. Anyway, and he thought that. He thought that 23andMe could completely take over the industry and, and, and there's no need for, for clinical, clinical gene testing. Totally. He said that to me after the fact. And, and Hey, listen, like now that Taylor's bringing it up, I'm going to come out and say it. I'm going to say it on the podcast publicly now that I just think that a simple saliva test in the mail is much more Mm. efficient than going and like seeing somebody who studied for, you know, eight, Mm. 10, 12 years to learn about something in a way mm-hmm. that you can just, you know, it, you're expediting the process exponentially right. by just like mailing in some spit. You know, I'm it's, just saying. it's funny. We, we get people that, uh, so, uh, Yamina, thank you for that letter. And we've had other people that have written in, um, again, letters at sickboypodcast.com if you want to write in to tell us anything. But we've, we've had people write in to ask why Taylor and Jeremy um, bully and pick on Brian so much. And I think... This is I've never really under, I've never really gotten I've never really understood why they don't understand. N- now you should understand that. So whatever, <clears throat> um, my flat Earth buddies uh, support me, so yeah. I'll just hang out with them more. Uh, I do think that is very uh, very important information, though. And thank you for sending that along. Twenty three andme recreational, but if you are worrying about your health in any way and uh, have any sort of family history, and you're looking for you know, cancer or Huntington's go, go see a genetic counselor. They exist. Um, well, does uh, anybody else feel like we're, does any, does anybody else feel like we're opened up for litigation from both private companies and, uh, like health Canada? <laughs> I feel like 23 like me is not going to sponsor the podcast like, anymore though. Uh, they all might sue us. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of letters, uh, <clears throat> I've got, uh, I've got a little call. This is like a little call to action. I need, I need to like uh, Himena there. Himena? How do, I keep fucking it up. Himena. Why do you she say it me, so I, good? I, you say it so good and I she, don't. Because well, Lauren's I, putting I, an I knew I didn't know how it, to which, pronounce it. And I I'm asked sure. her, I was like, how do you say your name? And then she sent me a YouTube clip oh. that was like, how to pronounce the name. And I was like, oh, okay, gonna, I'll make sure we say it right. And we've said it wrong 10 times. Okay, I'm going to try it again. It's really beautiful. Uh, it's really um, beautiful. <laughs> so Jimena, who is a genetic counselor, uh, just wrote in with some shit that she knows about. And uh, I love that. And so now I'm, I'm going to put a call out to any kind of physician who, or, or, or smart person doctor or medical doctor, anyone out there who has knowledge about this very interesting thing that I'm about to expose to you guys. So uh, I have another podcast that I host with my wife called Turn Me On. We speak about relationships and sexuality and we get a lot of listener mail. And about a year and a half ago, we got a, we got an email. I couldn't find the original email. I, I fucking searched everywhere, but essentially we got an email from a listener who was writing in to express to us that she has this very unique ability to when she uh, cleans her ears with a Q-tip or like, you know, puts a finger in her ear and like kind of wiggles it around to like sort of clear space in the ear in the ear canal that she feels like she can almost bring herself to orgasm through that motion. Okay, I get it. So I I could get that. Well, the Q-tip, though. 
yet with a Q-tip. So, so this, this is this is the, the let me finish this. This is the original thing that she said. Okay. okay. And we were like, Feels that's kind of interesting. Like, yeah, the ears are an erogenous zone. So, like, maybe that makes sense. Then we get another email from somebody else, another listener. And this is what they say. Hello, first time writer, long time listener. I was very excited to hear somebody write in about ear stimulation. I am also built in such a way. The ear bone is connected to the hip bone. I've often wondered if I could classify this place inside my ear as a G spot. It brings me such euphoric pleasure. Okay, I, I have to preface, but before I, I'm going to go on, I do not condone what this person's about to say. Um, I clean my ears obsessively with all kinds of objects. Oh my, my favorite, my favorite being the bended end of a bobby pin that can scoop and scrap. Uh, I can Scrapes. go, I can go deep in my in my particular ears. I do not recommend. I often rummage in people's bathrooms and pocketing them when I find them. They're referring to the bobby pins. Though my ears completely do not want so to be this clean, they ache and show numerous signs of displeasure. I have to fight the urge to clean my ears to protect them. It's entirely similar to a drug addict who needs a fix. It's that pleasurable. Although I do not see an orgasm in the future, I do know that my ears will ache from the sweet penetration. So that was another listener, completely separate. Okay. Then we get a follow-up email from the original eargasm writer okay hello tmo podcast duo <clears throat> i'm the one who wrote in about a possible ear orgasm just under a year ago thanks for reading my question on air and especially to the next reader who wrote about their q-tip and bobby pin and ear scratching escapades i too oh, love dude. to scratch and scratch my ears ear holes with various objects <laughs> but in but in 2020 <laughs> <clears throat> Somehow, you know, like a like what's that? What's that? Craigslist classified or like the uh, missed misconnections? Yeah, yeah. Right. They like, <laughs> like hello, yeah. follow up yeah, reader, totally. <laughs> and it's like the a conversation going on through your letters. That's, That's so great. Yeah, a little pen pal action <laughs> happening here through the podcast. Uh, but in 2020, somehow, despite all of this nonsense, I quit scratching the ears so much. Well, very occasionally, I do use a Q-tip, but I could stop at any time. <laughs> After a shower to dry them, them ears out. <laughs> Once they are dry, my favorite is to wet a new Q-tip and make the ear holes wet again. Sounds gross and also oh. counterproductive, but do try it out, fellow ear scratcher, to soothe your most likely extremely dry ear canal. So, so a little bit of a, um, uh, advice to the uh, other writer, okay? Dude, I, mm. I kind of do that. Do you? I, I kind of do that. Yeah, I dry I kind of do that with. with I kind of do that with my And then I wet asshole. them a little bit to like just like make <laughs> them a little bit less dry again. It it does feel really nice, but I'm not obsessive. Um, like what these do people you with use? OCD. What do you use to wet your ears? Are you using like your own use spit? A, yeah. a lotion? No, no, no. A little bit yeah. of water under the tap. A little bit of spit, Brian. You know Brian loves his. Oh. <laughs> Brian loves his wet willies. Brian loves. I hate wet willies. I hate wet willies. Um, I'm going to continue here. That's a very brave stance. Um, I, I am writing to update you on my eargasm quest and journey. After mostly stopping the ear scratches, I have discovered that my ear orgasming sensation, to remind listeners, I can, I can never quite get there and was writing in originally to see if there's tips from other listeners out there, and the satisfaction of ear scratching are very different. Even without scratching very often, I can still get ear edging feeling when I wiggle my jaw, mostly in mm. the left ear. I get that. Okay. I get that. <clears throat> you get that 
you hold on, Tay. Do you get? What, do you I get, get that what they're feeling saying in my ear. You get, get that, that feeling in my ear when I get that feeling in your jaw? dick when you when you when you do it. Because they're saying oh, edging no. like they, they feel it in their hoo ha. Uh, no. Okay. No working feeling. Working from home for about a year now with daily Zoom calls has allowed me the opportunity to stare at my face a lot to keep myself occupied and feel a tiny bit less vain. <clears throat> I've practiced wiggling my ears on camera, and guess what? The edging feeling happens. Edging as in like coming, coming close to climax. Um, the edging feeling happens, but only sometimes. I'm convinced it has to do with the weather or humidity or some other shit. Like maybe my little ear bones expand and contract depending on the weather, or maybe it's due to the, the uh, alignment of planets. LOL, I don't know. The other thing I have discovered while casually Googling about ear bones and the impact humidity has on them is that ear rumbling is a relatively rare thing. I have always been able to ear rumble on command, which apparently not everyone can do. The best I can describe is it is the sound you hear slash feel when yawning. Well, I can make my ears do that whenever I want. It doesn't feel good or bad, but it is another clue that perhaps my ears can do neat things like orgasming. Dude, I can ear rumble. Okay. All right. I know exactly. Well, I know exactly what they're talking about. I just did it right now. It does feel good. It's not like it's not like pleasure not inducing, so, but it feels good. Not so good that you're about to bust a bust a load into your right. Yeah, load, I don't your, feel it. I don't feel your, it in my in your, nether region. In your little diaper in my yeah. loins. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last last thing I would like to bring up is something I neglected to mention last time. This is where it gets really fucking interesting. If it isn't already, I didn't mention <laughs> it because I felt the first email was already a bit too nutso. This one, <laughs> this one is edging towards not so now, but whatever. Sometimes when Good I choice s- of words, yeah. So here we go. Sometimes when I scratch the outside of my labia, not in a sexy way, just in a way where you sometimes got a scratch, I feel it in my ear. Hmm. It's not all the time, like not with every scratch, but when I scratch in a specific area, sort of to the left of the labia, near where it fuses, lol, with my leg like where the underwear sits, it feels uncontrollable. Like when a dog is scratching in a specific area on their back or whatever, and their foot stamps. But instead I scratch my left labia and I sort of feel it fluttering, scratching in my left ear. LOL. Ugh. I don't know. Anyway, I never thought about it, but I am actually prego with my first baby and it's happening more often. Maybe I'm more itchy and the connection is more powerful because all blood in the happenings down there. And I'm only mentioning it because while I was in my while on my ear exploration journey, I'm wondering if it's all connected. Some neurons are crossed with some some neurons are crossed or some shit. Maybe which maybe explains the orgasm feeling when my ear bones wiggle wiggle. So there is your update. (laughs) Ear scratching is a wonderful feeling, but separate from what I am feeling, the ear edging orgasming feeling. I can sometimes feel the edging when wiggling the jaw or wiggling the ear. I can ear rumble, which I suppose is neat. And I'm convinced that my vagina and ear neurons are crossed somehow due to the strange sensations when scratching my hoo-ha, which has intensified due to my production of a baby. All that adds up to nothing much, but I am still wondering if there's, uh, if there's others like me out there and if they have tips for me or maybe others to continue our ear, our ear exploration adventures. If so, please write into Termion or you can write into Sick Boy Podcast. Uh, so I can get my fucking ear orgasm. <laughs> Taylor. Okay. Now, 
this has always perplexed me. I feel like we may have talked about this. I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the show. Maybe we did. Do either of you with your, with your, uh, with your Johnsons or with your hoo-ha Lauren, Mm-hmm. If you, uh, what's what's your guys' what's your belly belly button situation? I'm an innie. I'm a I'm a very much an Audi. I'm an very much an Audi. So mine goes <laughs> in, but then the little nub sticks out a little bit. Oh, those are so cute. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm an Lauren? innie in every way. An innie in every. I'm a, I'm a, I'm 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 very. <laughs> was, that a, was that a vagina joke? And yes, <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was great. <laughs> I'm so in. It's so in. <laughs> Um, I, I get this feeling and I've, it's not an orgasm feeling, but I mean, maybe it would be if I, it it more so makes me feel weird, but if I explored it, maybe it would be. If I, if I, if I, if I put my finger in my belly button immediately and like, and like, like move it around immediately tip of my dick. Wow. Okay. Really? Okay. Yeah. And I've, and it's always been like that. When you say tip of your dick, do you mean you Ooh, feel like, like I just did it? I'm like, oh, like f- it's a, it's a feel like a, like a, some sort of stimulation in your, in your penis. Yeah. Yeah. It's not immediately. Like I would <gasps> never go. It's it more so is like, oh, that's, it's not uncomfortable. Like okay. it's not good. It's not bad. But I'm like, well, if someone fucking strapped me down and like <laughs> fucking ran the tongue stuck their finger in there or their tongue in there instead of going around, like who knows? I mean, a few minutes of that. A few minutes of that, and I might go kablooey. I don't know. Well, have you have you ever have you ever asked uh, your partner if she would play with your belly button like during like during an intimate time? I feel like maybe maybe you I should haven't. try it. Like maybe it would be yeah. If she has any, vi- it would be good if, for you. if Kyle has any vibrators, you should get her ram one in there next time you guys are yeah, having your belly button. See, like the see the, the the thought of it is like I the you know you know when you see somebody and it's not the same because again it's not bad, but you know when you see somebody get kicked in the nuts and you just go like. Oh, yes. and you feel it like you know yeah. it. Yeah, it's I. It's like that, like but it's you not. Can, you can think of it. I can and feel, it. feel it. Yeah, wow. Wow. yeah. Well, uh, so we got another email. So, so hold the, on. This is just the, to be clear. Is, yeah, you guys don't have that. No, I, <laughs> no. no, I don't. No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but um, but Lauren, but dude, I I I encourage <laughs> little, you to explore. Which is it. weird. You definitely. You do. Like, Are you doing it? Some sort of sensation, but it's not like pleasant. I'm not like ooh. I'm like oh. Yeah. yeah see, see, so so am I. I, 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 I feel, that, that I feel you guys. Made. I feel like you guys feel about that with my ears. Like I can relate to the eargasm writers, though not not in the not to the same degree that I think I could like feel a sense of pleasure doing it. Mm. Though I I'm interested. Like I yeah. I think that I could play with the Q-tip in my ears and it would feel really good. Well, you might. Well, probably, I want to hear though. from. Uh, I want to hear from any wiener 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 belly button uh, feelers out hey, there. Just yeah, let, so let this is know. great. If you have if you have anything, write in. But there, there's I'm, one. Any any part there, of your body. There's one yeah, more. We want to know about there, it. There's one more email here, and and again, so this is another listener. This is completely separate from all the other emails I've read, and they come in with something a little more, a uh, little similar. So this came in just a couple days ago. Happy New Year! <clears throat> so I use a face massager when I have migraines, and the other day I was using it on my temples, and it started to affect my ear, and I tell you, it felt exactly like the build up to an orgasm. It was super fucking weird, but like, I get what the other listeners are saying. It's also the same <laughs> feeling I get when I put a finger in my ear and wiggle it around when it hurts. So maybe, just maybe, there's something to the nerves in our genitals and the nerves in our ears responding to sim- stimulus the same way in our brains. Keep up the good work and stay safe. Um, so listen, 
I'm fucking dying to know what's going on here. It's, it's, it, we've got we've got it on our Patreon. We've got a, we, on our Discord channel where we've got a, a, a very thriving and fun community of, of people discussing all sorts of things. It's it. This eargasm shit has seeped into our Discord. People are chiming in with their experience. If you have this experience, sure, write in letters at sickboypodcast.com. But what I really want to know is I want to hear from someone who fucking knows why. I want to know why. What is going on? Why? Why? I don't know. I just wonder if that lady that was pregnant had like a crazy headache when she was giving birth. If it's not connected. Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, right. right. Like yeah. if the baby's if, stretching yeah. out the the, yeah. the genitals, if it's like if she if her ear just starts hurt, like ah, yeah. like the baby's coming out of her ear. Exactly, because oh like your whole lower body is essentially getting wrecked that's, by this see, creature. That's some crazy. I mean, body, Lauren. I mean, that, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, don't you think? <laughs> a little. Jesus probably a little i don't know i have I've never had a child but i bet i bet so i bet people who have are like Ooh, ow. what i yeah. really want to know is is i've been told so many times that you shouldn't stick q-tips too far no. in your ears no but you should i you shouldn't stick anything in your fucking ears people also also uh, also gotta put that out there everything you just heard don't Start shoving shit in your ears, please, for the love of well, fuck. Well, then what is the point Unless of a Q-tip? Good. I'm sorry. Guys, then why here, do they let exist? Me, they're not let me, let me tell you. Let me t- the reason that the that okay, you've been led astray. Okay. Let me I let have? me drop a truth. Let me drop a truth bomb on you. No, no, no. You Lauren, you're you're on the right track. Jer's, I haven't been led, been led astray. I'm I just, I understand that people are idiots. Jair's paying attention to no, the no, fake no, no, news no. media. No, 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 no. I took and a photo the other day. And with, he's listening listen, to everything they say. Don't put anything in your ear. You're just doing what they want. Okay, no, no, listen, listen to me. I took a is. photo me, with, me, a, with an Instax camera the other day. The fucking, the fucking Polaroid comes out, okay? You, you flip it on the backside, and on the top, it says, just in repeating, it, repeating, it just says, do not put in mouth. Do not put in mouth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know why they wrote that there? Because some fucking because somebody put them in their mouth was like, oh god, this Polaroid. What will happen if I yeah, shove but, this in my yeah, fucking mouth? Yeah, but there's mouth? not. But there isn't. There isn't an appropriate amount of putting a Polaroid in your mouth. Okay, there that, is an appropriate yeah, amount of putting like a Q-tip a in your ear. I understand. And the reason, yeah. the reason that they say don't put it in anything in your ear is because. It's way easier to say, hey, blanket statement, don't put it in your ear, than it is to say, hey, you know what? You can put it in your ear, but you know, you want to be really careful because if you put it in too far, it'll be like this. And then then you got a bunch of idiots that are going, oh, yeah, well, you know what? I mean, what's too far? Well, <laughs> oh, my, my brain. I'm just saying. <laughs> my I, brain hurts. If, if anybody else is out there listening right now and thinking about how badly they want to put a Q-tip in their ear right now, I just okay. want to let you know that you're not alone. And uh, the other thing that I was thinking is, is that... I I'm a bit concerned for these um, ear gasm explorers because mm. I've been told so many times to not put things too far in your ears. And like, I'm always, I feel like I'm always flirting with that boundary when I'm cleaning my ears with Q-tips. <laughs> like I like to like get in there nice and deep, but like, you know, I'm always wondering like how close am I to tickling my, my eardrum skin when I'm doing this. And, and I'm always worried that flirting with that line is going to cause me to like rupture my eardrum but I feel like if there's people sticking fucking bobby pins in their ears, oh god, then that is it like is a Q-tip really gonna be the thing that's gonna pop your eardrum? And also, 
uh, side note, if there's anybody out there listening who has popped their eardrum oh, by God. sticking something in their ear, please oh. Oh, uh, reach out and send us a letter because that makes I, I want to know. That makes my dick. I want to know if I'm. I, I want to know if I'm doing risky behaviors um, when I'm sticking Q-tips in my ears. Well, they do say. You're not supposed to stick anything in your ear uh, smaller than your elbow. So, uh, so, hey, and hey, maybe, uh, maybe those, uh, it, maybe there's some crossover there with our Turn Me On listeners and Sick Boy listeners. So, if any of those people who wrote in those emails are listening right now, try uh, ramming a fucking uh, get your partner to ram a fucking elbow into your ear and wiggle that around and see if that brings you to come. You know. Um. Wow. Anyway, I oh. hope we get some. Uh, I hope we get oh. some sort of response there because <clears throat> I am just dying to know what the hell's going on in in our bodies and how that may be linked in terms of our brains and our and our nervous system and all that shit but uh pretty fascinating stuff eh so again letters mm. at sickboypodcast.com if you want to send us a letter or give us a correction if you want to correct taylor on his uh his his little rant there about sticking q-tips in your ear please letters at sickboypodcast.com just make the subject line eargasm so we can uh, yeah, we yeah. can make sure that we're categorizing <laughs> these letters correctly uh speaking of taylor uh dude you sent over a little um article today about the johnson and johnson covid vaccine yeah there, there was something really there's something specific in this that i wanted to have uh, uh that i wanted to talk about with, with all of you and see what your what what you all think about this. So that, so Johnson and Johnson is kind of catching up. I mean, I mean, first of all, in terms of the, like the playground, the playground of farm of big pharma companies, they must feel pretty excluded right now. Um, not being invited to the party with all the, with all the big vaccines, um, that are, that are flying around out there and getting all the recognition, but they are finally coming around with a vaccine. Entering the arena as one might say. They are entering the arena. They are, Player they are, their four next step, has I entered the game. Then, then their next step is phase three trials. But the interesting thing about this, um, about Johnson and Johnson's vaccine is that they, well, they're, they're trialing both two dose vaccinations. So one, so a vaccination that would require you to get two doses, just like the ones that are currently available, um, with, uh, Moderna and Pfizer, et cetera. And then, the and then they're also but they're also trialing um a one dose uh version which there was a particular aspect to this article so this article is coming from stat statnews.com um and they were talking to the the CEO of Johnson Johnson and, he, and they were saying that there is a that the there might be a trade off to be made with how long a how long the protection that you might get from a vaccine a trade-off between that the length of protection you might get and and being able to offer a one dose vaccine so like anytime that we hear you know the u.s has ordered this many doses canada has ordered this many doses you know nova scotia is getting you know 50,000 doses of the vaccine you know if nova scotia gets 50,000 doses of the pfizer vaccine that means 25,000 people get it because they need two doses. And so, I mean, immediately, if you've got a one dose vaccine, then, I mean, it, it, it doubles the rate at which you can inoculate people. So that's obviously a huge upside, but they, but the, 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 what's coming out of this, of this article is basically this, this sort of, um, you know, they're, they're, they're way earlier on, they're still in, in the trial phase. And, um, they were talking about, 
the trade-off between the length of protection you get and the importance of, or the, 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 um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, the benefit of having one dose vaccine. And I wanted to know what you guys thought about, you know, you've got, you know, if you've, if, if someone says, and, and I asked this because it, it's different for the individual than it is for like a country. So if, if you were going to, um, you know, if someone said, Hey, you can get the, you can get this Johnson and Johnson vaccine. It's going to be one dose and it's going to give you like eight months protection. We think it's going to give you like a minimum of eight months protection, uh, against COVID and you can get it today. Or they were like, Hey, and you, you, or you could get the Pfizer vaccine, but you know, the, because of all these, whatever this, that, and the other thing, you can only get the Pfizer vaccine in like six months from now. And that will probably last like 18 months, uh, minimum. What's your, what's your thought on, what would be your thought on, on that? Would you, would you wait to get a vaccine that would last longer, but might be less readily available? Or would you, would you, would you be okay with taking a vaccine that doesn't have as long lasting protection? Cause I mean, from the, from a government standpoint, obviously it's more beneficial to have a one dose vaccine because it, you can inoculate the population way faster. It's kind of like, it's funny because I mean, number one, this is a, a totally hypothetical situation because with uh, Johnson and Johnson starting phase three trials now, it, it, even if the vaccine is readily available for everybody, as soon as it's approved by the FDA or, or uh, governing body in, in, uh, in Canada, um, will likely be already um, have the opportunity to, to get the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine by then anyway. But mm-hmm. it's funny because a single dose Johnson and Johnson vaccine that's only effective for eight months means that you would still need two doses to have a vaccine yeah, that would right, last right. you for 16 total months. So it's mm-hmm. like, would you prefer getting your, your first dose and then your second dose two weeks later, or would you rather come back for your second dose eight months later? But in the end, you're, you would still mm-hmm. have to get two doses of the vaccine. So um, it really depends on how long it it's effective for and um, you know, how, how effective it is against the virus mm. um, you know, in the trial as well. I know that the trial is sort of just like a, it, it's not a, a full picture of how effective the vaccine will be because they, they've said that um, the, statistical pool of amount of people who have been in the trial is not um, big enough to say like, Oh, it, it's going to be 95% effective for the entire population. Like they, I think they, they anticipate that the number is going to drop a bit anyway, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think there's too, too little information at this point, but we could totally speculate about numbers and, and, and make best guesses from there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know shit about fuck so uh who's <laughs> to say what i say is is valid at all or worth even saying but i would be personally i'd be totally fine with going oh i have to wait two or three months let's just say it worked out this way i have to wait two or three months to get a more uh, long lasting vaccine or i can get the the one that is you know last a short amount of time right now i'd i'd be fine with waiting for the one that works longer See, that's interesting. That's interesting from you, Jer, because you have because you you are more affected. Yeah, like, I know. But theoret- here's, like, here's why. Here's why. Because I'm I'm now so used to uh, 
mm. isolating myself. Like isolation now for me is like, um, it, it really, it like, and I, I know that this is a very, this is a very like privileged thing to say, but it's, it's very, it feels very second nature to me now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I, I get to work from home. I don't have to leave mm. where, I, where I live. I have my food. I, you know, HelloFresh, who does not, uh, uh, does not sponsor this podcast. Uh, they deliver my food to me. I, I don't like necessarily have to go anywhere. I have a support system that can like, you know, if I needed, if it was really bad here and I needed something from the grocery store or the, or the, the pharmacy, I have people that can, that can hook, hook me up. So like, you know, if it meant just continuing to hunker down for a few months, but I would know that I get this vaccine that uh, statistically is going to tell me that, hey, you're going to be like, you're going to be rocking and rolling pretty good for an ex- like a nice, beautiful extended period of time. I think I would take the I think I would take that. I think I'd take the long the long haul over the over the shorter period of time for like I the think, instant gratification. I think one of the the challenges, though, with this conversation is that or one one thing that I hope doesn't come out of this is it is this idea that there's a one vaccine is better than another because yep. I would like to think that, you know, with, and especially with the amount of vaccine hesitancy that's out there, I'd like to think that they're not just handing out approvals for vaccines willy nilly, like that they're, that they have to be proven effective. Well, let's and fucking hope. Let's hope so. It, <laughs> exactly. So, so I think that, um, I don't care which vaccine I get. I would take whichever one became available to me first and and probably just take it from there. Yeah, but to that point, aren't these some of the most effective vaccines ever developed? Which is yeah. insane considering the yeah. record-breaking speed at which they were developed. So, yeah, wasn't weren't you guys saying that on that one episode of The Daily um, some governing body was like, oh, well, if it was 50% effective, we would have accepted yeah. it. And here we are above yeah. 90. Mm. 50%, yeah. I think, and, was like, was like the FDA was like, it has to be at least that for us know. to even like consider. Yeah. Though, yeah. Though, yeah. Like, about, when we were having, when we were having the conversation with Iris Gorfinkel, um, you know, she was saying <clears throat> that we have to ask questions. Like we have to mm-hmm. ask questions mm-hmm. about these vaccines and, and, and that we should think of, of, what the right questions are to ask. So I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have as long as in the back of our heads, we remember that these are really effective when they're getting approved, they are, you know, showing Mm -hmm. statistically that they're very effective. So Mm. we shouldn't be afraid of taking them. And, you know, another, another very, another very worthwhile conversation to have is uh, that, there are lots of people there, you know, remember the days when they were first announcing the vaccine and we started hearing polls that were saying, you know, four in 10 Americans were not said that they wouldn't get the vaccine or didn't, or didn't, or were very, were unlikely to get the vaccine, something Mm -hmm. like that. And then, and then that conversation sort of evolved to, you know, uh, you know, concert venues needing to, you needing to show whether you have the vaccine or not, or, and now it's like aviation companies are Mm. talking about needing, you know, you need to show if you've got the vaccine or not, or show that you've been tested. I mean, that's been a thing for a bit. And then, uh, today 
it came at this. So I don't know this company. It's called Dollar General. I don't know. I don't know what they do. Dollar they're, General. If I had to guess, a, it's a dollar, dollar store. store. <clears throat> they're a dollar store. They're a chain of dollar yeah. stores. Um, dollar General. You know, they're, they're, I mean, fuck, they're everywhere. It's like Dollarama in the right. States. Yeah, they, they like Dollarama. Okay, yeah, exactly. So, so it says Dollar oh, wait, General. Are they actually? I was just fucking. I was just fucking joking. No, they're. Yeah, no, that's, that's what. That's, that's, that's what I assume. Dollar assumed. store chain in the United States. Y'all didn't know that. Yeah, that's hilarious. Y'all so it says, didn't know that? So it says Dollar General has become the first retailer to give its workers a one-time payment equivalent to four hours of pay after receiving a COVID-19 vaccine, hmm. as well as additional store labor hours to accommodate their time away from the store, which, I mean, and now now I know that the, that we had that conversation with Iris Gorfinkel, and we are saying, you know, vaccine hesitancy and being anti-vaccination are two completely separate things being vaccine hesitant is something that is completely rational for every person to go, what the fuck am I putting in my body? Mm -hmm. What does it do? How does it work? I want to know that before I do that, which is totally reasonable. Um, and, and it seems like there are far too many people that have raised their hand and said, I'm not putting this thing in my body before they knew anything about this vaccine to begin with. And there's obviously a big conversation around, you know, there needs to be a certain amount of people who get vaccinated. How much do you think people paying their employees like an hourly wage equivalent to go get the vaccine? How much, how, how much sway do you think that that would have huge in the population of people that don't, that huge. didn't want to get it in the first place? Huge sway. Money. So, Dude, yeah. money. I, yeah. I agree. I, I agree that it's huge, but, um, <clears throat> I, maybe huge isn't the right word that I think would would be the right word to describe it, but I think it's it's um, very powerful for companies to do that because I think even if it makes a five percent difference within the you know the employees of that company, so say five percent more people get uh, inoculated because of the financial incentive. Imagine what that means if if you know five percent of the population were to do it because. All yeah. companies agreed to do that, right? It's it's going to make a huge difference. Um, you know, yeah, money talks. So I, I think money I think talks. Man. I think it's yeah. well worth I mean, it for companies for- to consider doing that, especially because, like, you know, what do you like at the Dollar General? You're you're probably talking roughly minimum wage at four hours. Like, it's probably like yeah. fifty bucks an employee that they're Which- paying to do that. Yeah, exactly. Max, like, you know? I don't know when I was, was like, when I was working minimum wage in the U S I was getting seven twenty five. So, yeah. but like one, another thing that's great is not only does it encourage people to get the vaccine, which they should, but it also would offset some of the time that they would spend off work mm. getting the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So there's also mm-hmm. that aspect to it, which I don't know, like here in Canada, we have like great labor laws and a much higher minimum wage. And I, and here, I think we sometimes forget the, the plight of the American worker, mm. which was mind my you, life though, now, for a little bit. My, I mean, do you guys have I any? Would say, t- I would say, I do want to say about Dollar General. Like, I, I think that probably, I would say they're not, they're not um, losing that full amount of money because they're probably uh, saving a lot of money in terms of uh, amount of employees calling in sick too. Because if you yeah. have uh, COVID-19 infe- infections in the workplace and it's spreading amongst the employees mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they're not vaccinated, then and how you might many, need to shut down stores. Hours can you lose? Yeah. Because, because you don't have yeah. employees to, it's an investment. To, it's to an investment business, right? Now, yeah. now do you yeah. think, do, do you think, and this is like, I'm just totally playing devil's advocate here. Um, you know, 
I'm thinking of, um, I'm thinking of, of religious groups who have basically said like, Hey, we're exempt from like, you can't, you can't make me do this bec- uh, on, on, re- on the grounds of religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that this, do you think that there's potential for the, the, this sort of thing to cross any lines in terms of, uh, you know, like this is the type of shit that like you could see people bringing like Supreme court cases that are like, you know, you yeah. can't infringe upon my rights to not get vaccinated or whatever, because there are people out there who feel that strongly about this shit. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, do you it, see I mean, that at all? It, for sure. It's definitely controversial for sure. I mean, it's, it's gonna, it's going to, it's going to, um, it's going to create a lot of controversy that, like, mm-hmm. especially if, if more companies get on board with this kind of thing, if this becomes like, I mean, I guess it, I guess it all around the board, like if it becomes I, a status, quo, I guess like, it's like company. a mandate. It depends on if you mandate, if it, if it's mandatory, right, that's sure. one thing. If it's not <laughs> I, mandatory, then that's, right. that's the thing. I think it comes down to agency. As soon as you take away people's yeah. agency, then, then that's where the, the problems yeah. arise. Yeah. I, I think that, all, yeah, I think that we need to invest more in education. Right. Than it, in, it reminds me of mandating. It reminds me of uh, this time that I was in Vegas and uh, Taylor, you didn't have much money to your name. And mm-hmm. we were there with uh, my brother-in-law, who's like pretty wealthy. And, and my dad, who's like, he, he, you know, my dad's done OK for himself, I guess. Um, and you know, they didn't have to worry about money. But and and I I saved up. So I had some money saved up when I went down there. Definitely wasn't making money, making bank or anything, but I, I felt okay. I was like, I knew I was going to Vegas. You came down with nothing, <laughs> and then you, and then you, and then you dropped uh, nothing on on a blackjack table, and then and and we're basically into nothing, nothing. And you know, we we were in the we were in the hotel room, and there was a statue that that was the shape of a, <laughs> of a finger. It was a hand. It was actually a statue of a hand. You can look it up if you look up like giant hand finger statue you keep you keep telling sure. the story i'll send a photo through to uh and, slack <clears throat> and um uh so you, this this finger the the index finger on this on this statue was very large and we actually my brother-in-law was like well we, we were like you were down in the dumps and my brother-in-law was like taylor i'll give you a thousand dollars and you can do whatever you want with it uh on this trip if you insert that giant finger all the way up your bum we weren't going to force you to do it we you had full you had full agency to make that decision and um you know you were just saying earlier money talks you you know money talk money talks what well what we'll just we'll we'll we can just leave leave it we can just leave it at that money talks yeah yeah. we'll say this money talks and uh you know happened in vegas so talk about it but it's not the smoothest uh, statue finger. Either. Oh no! It was yeah. this was a this was it um, had edges. It had edges. Yeah, this was. What did you have to Google there, bro, uh, Tay? So that the people who want to uh, see it can look it up. I uh, I searched finger. I just searched hand statue. Yeah, um, it's pretty and easy. It's, and it, it's one. And it's one where it's it's one where the hand is um is like it it's like, kind of doing. It's kind of doing this actually, thing where it's got where it's, it's got all of its fingers curled in except for its index finger pointing up. It's kind of that motion that except people go the, like, "I'm number one" when they get photos taken of them. The, the finger that yeah. the the one the image that you sent Tay actually has the two hands there, and it looks like the second hand is sort of coddling your balls. Like it if does. it's coddling yeah, yeah, your it balls, yeah, it does gently. I mean, I mean, they, see this. it's in Slack. I mean, I just it's in Slack. It's, it's in not Slack, Lauren. It's in no, the it's Good News host. No, it's too much good news host material. 
And uh, you know what? Oh, I mean, so this this photo, this statue is in oh, every oh, wow. it's in every single room at yep. the Aria Hotel in Vegas. I mean, yeah. it's just begging to be put in people's asses. I mean, oh, you know yeah, what? Probably. Look at it, dude. Has been in somebody else's too. You should. What I can't remember should, if what, I sanitized what, it. What if you shove that fucking thing in your ear? Yeah. Oh, wiggle it around. Oh, dude, Ooh. my I just got goosebumps. <sighs> dude, I just edged. Um, all right, oh. folks, we're gonna we're gonna throw to our conversation this week. Uh, we get to speak with Dr. Evan Taylor, smart person doctor, coming at you. Uh, this is a really, really fun conversation. Uh, Dr. Evan is a, a co-founder of Queering Cancer. Uh, which is uh, a an organization that is exploring the gaps in the cancer care um, uh, system for LGBTQ plus folks, uh, and they have lots of amazing resources. And uh, we had a w- wonderful time talking to Evan about the work that they do. So uh, I hope you enjoy this as much as we did, and we will see you on the other side. All right. Uh, we are sitting here with Dr. Evan Taylor, and I'm going to start this off with a question that uh, we've been asking most of the people who pop on the show that have a DR name, in front of their name. Um, and uh, so we'll start off with this question. Uh, Dr. Evan Taylor, are you a medical doctor or a smart person doctor? Uh, we'll go with that PhD smart person doctor on that answer. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. I'm going to take, take smart person doctor for 10. <laughs> Um, uh, Dr. Taylor, you, uh, so, so one of the things that we, we've, you know, we've been doing this, this show now for a handful of years. And one of the things that has come up time and time again, through often through our guests is, is exploring gaps in the healthcare system. And, uh, I think that's a big part in what we're going to be talking about with you today. Um, but in particular, and, and I think this might be one of the first times we've, we've really dived into the subject matter here of, of exploring the gaps that exist in healthcare, in particular cancer care, um, for, for folks who are a part of the LGBTQ2 plus community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess before we dive into queering cancer and what that's all about, um, why don't you let us know um, what, for someone who has no clue. Uh, what gaps might exist in in the queer community for cancer care? Um, what what would some of those gaps look like? Well, I think the most important thing that we're talking about here is looking at how it is that cancer is uh, very gendered. Um, so, you know, we we, we talk about uh, cancer as being either you know men's cancers or women's cancers. So, you know, with men's cancers being like prostate cancer or or whatever, and and then women's cancers being gynecological cancers or breast cancers. And and part of that, uh, the way that cancer is divided up into men's and women's cancers, that's part of the that's part of the issue in terms of looking at those systemic gaps, um, because a lot of folks are not very clearly identified as men or as women, um, and, and then fall sort of in between those. 
Right. Yeah. So yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I, I was I was reading a story that was on um, on the uh, Queering Cancer <clears throat> website, <clears throat> and it was a really great representation of what you were talking about there, which was um, a person's experience uh, of going through treatment with breast cancer. Uh, but this person is non uh, is non binary, mm-hmm. and so you know breast cancer very much a gendered uh, cancer, um, uh, and and for someone who doesn't see themselves as uh, female experiencing breast cancer, it I, I mean it it was one of those things where I was reading it going huh yeah this makes a lot of sense I never w- I I never would have crossed my mind but yeah that would be I can see why that would be really challenging. Exactly. When we're dealing with gendered body parts, right? Then we're dealing with people's mm-hmm. identities, and when those gendered body parts are, you know, are cancerous, if for for whatever whatever description, then you know the, that that person's experience uh, of of cancer becomes very gendered. Mm, yeah. What right. That, what does that look like for somebody who doesn't identify as female and they're they're diagnosed with breast cancer? Like, are, are there some like tangible examples of how? the treatment would be very gendered or the approach to treatment would be very gendered in the way that sort of healthcare providers and the system um, goes about caring for those patients? Yeah, certainly. Um, So, I mean, we've heard, uh, I I worked with a a project before uh, Queer and Cancer called Cancer's Margins. And in Cancer's Margins, we actually interviewed uh, over 120 uh, uh, patients, uh, care providers, um, about their experiences um, with cancer. And we heard lots of stories, um, and particularly around these ideas of of women's clinics. Um, And so uh, one of the the most poignant examples for me is this, uh, the, the story where we had a patient um, who talked about he, how he wasn't allowed to wait in the waiting room. Um, so he went in with his girlfriend into the, the, the cancer clinic, um, and the, there was, I guess, uh, you know, staff members there who said, well, you can't wait in the waiting room. Your girlfriend can wait in the waiting room, but you can't. You have to wait outside in the hallway. And so if you imagine like what, what the, 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 those hospital gowns, right, that they're like they're sort of flapping open and whatever. And so this guy is told like, you know, you can't wait in the waiting room. You have to wait out in the, in the hallway in, in your hospital gown because <laughs> you're not allowed to sit in there. And so j- just that experience of literally like not being told you, 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 you can't wait here. You, you can't be here. You're not allowed to be in the clinic. Um, that, the, that the way that when, when we divide up, you know, cancer into women's clinics in this way that this guy looked like he didn't belong and was told mm. to, to wait out in the hallway. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those examples that is so poignant for me because it's a, a literal uh, example of go, go, you can't be here. Right? Yeah. yeah. Which is so <laughs> fucked because like you, you talk to people, I mean, we've talked to so many people that have experienced uh, cancer diagnosis and especially with like, uh, when speaking to like young adults living with cancer, um, it's such an isolating experience already. And so you, you layer something like that on top of it, like how, just like how soul crushing that must have felt to be in that moment. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. I'm, I'm, I've been kind of like formulating a question over the last, over the last couple of minutes and, and trying to figure out the best way to, to ask it. And I feel like I've, I've almost like in that process kind of I think come to the, come to the, the, the answer and the conclusion, but I kind of want to bounce it off of you and see, and see what you think. Cause I was, I was wondering like, you know, in the, in with, with cancers like breast cancer, which is, um, you know, which is, you know, you always hear, this is a, 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 
cancer that women get or prostate cancer is cancer that men get, um, you know, and so on and so forth down the list of cancers. You know, it's commonly you, a lot of them are attributed to, to either men or women more commonly or, or almost entirely. And and on and on the one hand, I'm thinking I, I was thinking to myself, well, that's got to be it's got to be it has to ha- serve its purpose in one in one sense, because um, because, well, it, it, not not so much in in in, in distinguishing as uh, men or women, but male or female, like in the, in, and this is, I guess, something that I am maybe not super clear on in the trans community is, is, is there, is there a, um, is there a, a, a distinction made between sex and gender or are they, see, or, or is it, is it looked at as the two are, the two are kind of like indistinguishable from each other. And I'm, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, is it, is it the, is it taking these cancers and instead of saying, just the same way as we have come to learn, especially over the past number of years, you know, instead of saying, um, uh, instead of saying uh, a man's thing, you say a person with a penis or mm. a, or uh, or a person with a vagina. If, like, is that the way in which we should instead be referring to these to these cancers? Like, because you know, a woman who uh, or, or a um, a person who has a vagina who identifies as a man is being told they have breast cancer, which is a women's cancer or a female cancer. And, and it kind of has to be identified as such in some way because, because they have breasts. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to like demarcate where, what is, what, what is, where is it helpful and where is it, where is it um, detracting? I, I sh- before you jump in there, Evan, I just, sh- I want to say, Tay, that I didn't say this at the top, but I, I feel like this is this is a really great question, uh, mostly because Evan has a PhD in the Department of Language and Literacy Education. So, so I feel like like this is a perfect opportunity for you to be educated in language and literacy. <clears throat> Take me to school. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, yes, and, and this is one of the things. I, uh, it, certainly, having a PhD in language and literacy, that's one of the the pieces for me that we talk about all the time in the LGBT alphabet community. Right? Is is what what do these words mean? How do we identify people? Um, and and the the discourses around uh, how we talk about ourselves and how we name and label things, I think, is so important. So I really appreciate the uh, the chance to talk about that. Um, so it, 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 cancer specifically, I think, is one of the places that uh, we can really easily uh, make some good changes uh, in this in this area. So um, as you say, there's this idea where we have to have you know. Uh, well, we have to demarcate the cancers. I think that's a, a really good good word for that. Um, but in talking about the LGBTQI, all of these letters, um, what we what we what, kind of what we we miss is that we, we're continuing to put ourselves constantly into these identity categories, um, and I think it's problematic. And that's exactly what the the, the problematics of, of cancer uh, are, where it puts people into categories as opposed to just dealing with what is already like a really isolating, you know, medical issue. Um, so the, 
my simple solution to that is a quite a lot like what you were saying, Taylor, is uh, instead of looking at, you know, men's cancers and women's cancers, or instead of using gender or identity um, to divide these things up, we, we simply should divide them up by, by body parts. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's a body part. Mm. Lots of people have toes. Mm. Lots of people have breasts. Lots of people have prostates. Um, and, and how, you know, those people identify in terms of gender isn't nearly uh, as relevant as, you know, what, what kind of cancer they're dealing with. Mm. Uh, in the moment that somebody's diagnosed with cancer, their, 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 their sexual or gender identity is usually not the top of their mind, right? Mm. The, the top of their mind is, oh, shit, I'm going to die. Right. Yeah, like that's what cancer means to people. It's 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 that that contending with death more than contending <laughs> with identity. Um, and so there's a lot of talk in the in, in the in the cancer in the, the, the medical cancer community about instead of dividing things up by men's cancers or women's cancers, we should start looking at dividing things up by, you know, the, the body part that people are, are diagnosed with, you know, mm-hmm. ha- as, as having cancer. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And Decent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Would they, would they, like, if... When when they talk about uh, a quote unquote women's cancer like breast cancer and because there are there are men that get breast cancer and it's statistically less likely I guess but at the same time they can get it is there a, would they treat it differently like would would they say oh you're a man and you have breast cancer you identify as a man you know we're not going to give you the same hormones that we would give women for example because there are side effects that are going to take away your masculinity from it. That's, that's a, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, so I don't know exactly all of the you know, what what hormones are, are right, chosen yeah. and where. But um, but but there's certainly um, you know estrogen uh, estrogen blockers are used for a particular uh, can- some cancers are estrogen positive, where, where it means that they they feed off of estrogen, um, and then some cancers are not. And it all depends on the, the particular diagnosis. Um, and so there there is some uh, like when a, when a when a cancer is um, estrogen receptive and it feeds off estrogen, then they can give you a, an estrogen blocker so. That that you don't have as much of the estrogen in your system, and and of course, I'll be I'll be very different if you're if you're a, a, a estrogen based organism or if you're a testosterone based organism. Like mm-hmm. if you, you know, depending mm-hmm. on what your you, you know your 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 medical situation is, um, that that would be a, a different decision. And then depending on what the the cancer is, it would be a, a different decision. Um, so yeah, that definitely there's that comes into play. Um, but at the end of the day. You know, people are dealing with cancer, and you know whatever the, the the medical interventions are, people are constantly contending with that. You know that that situation of am I going to die or not, and that mm-hmm. you know that is a really non-gendered experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, yeah, go ahead, Brian. I, I was going to say it sounds like you know a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast is the the patient's experience and their feelings around it, you know going through treatment and going through recovery and the support groups that they connect with along the way. And it's not so much about the actual 
medical inter- intervention that's happening because, you know, frankly, the patient is not a doctor anyway. So most, most of the time, so they don't oftentimes know or care about what exactly is happening on a scientific level. But like you said, their emotional experience going through the situation is where they want to and need to be supported the most. I know my mom um, had bladder cancer and by far the hardest experience for her in going through it was not the physical treatment. It was the emotional consequences of what it means Mm. to live with a cancer diagnosis. So it sounds almost like it is a lot of the work where a lot of the work needs to be done um, in these sort of like non-gendered treatment approaches or not treatment, but more so in like the support groups and how we consider language when we're working with patients going through recovery. Yeah, that's a really good, yeah, it's a really good point. Um, certainly in the support groups, that's one of the places that we've seen a lot of our, our patients and, and heard a lot of stories um, where people aren't able to, to access that. So, um, you, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll call up a, a support line and, and say, oh, you know, I'd like to talk to somebody else who has, you know, whatever blank cancer. Um, and then the people on the support line are like, oh, okay, well, uh... <laughs> and there's this like right. <laughs> this groaning silence, right? <laughs> As they try and figure out like, okay, well, we don't like, we don't keep track of sexual orientation. So we, we, we can't ask for a gay person or a lesbian per- or, we, or a trans person. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, there's this, this disconnect between what people are asking for in terms of support where they say, you know, can I talk to another person like me? And then the support line is like, oh, we don't keep track of that information or we don't know somebody like that. Or, and so th- there's this experience for folks where they are trying to access support and saying, oh, I kind of find someone else like me. And then the support system is saying, we don't actually keep track of the information that you need in order to find mm. someone like you. Mm. Right. But it also, but it, this also is, a, is an issue as well, like not just the support groups, but I, I take it it's also an issue within the, within the doctor's office, within the, the treatment itself, within the like relationship between patient and doctor when, when, when facing these kinds of things. I mean, at least that's, that's one, of the, one of the things that I picked up on, on that uh, story on the Querying Cancer website, which was like, you know, person, non-binary person gets breast cancer, goes in for treatment, <clears throat> and <clears throat> already has this like ambiguous relationship to their breasts anyway, and, and the doctor's like, you know pushing the this notion for like breast reconstructive surgery whereas this person's like i i don't even fucking think i want breasts like can we can we go down that road can we talk about that route and there's like almost a well no of course we don't want to we don't want to go down that road we're like we want to we want to replace the breast that you're going to lose like who who wouldn't who wouldn't want to have their breast replaced you know so like there's there's definitely issues in that are taking place within the actual office itself. Um, it's like when you're, it's like when you're a vegetarian and you go to a restaurant and you order a meal and it's got meat in it and you're like, can I just not get the meat, but can I add, you're like, can I replace it with this other, like, you know, I actually, if you could just lift right here on my forehead, you could just lift right here on my forehead, just get rid of a couple of these lines. That'd be fantastic. (laughs) Can I, can I just select for a different surgery? We absolutely cannot do it in the kitchen. No substitutions allowed. Yeah. Yeah, And that's that's the thing. It's this assumption. Sorry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, that, yeah, is yeah, some, yeah. that is some, that assumption that's made there. That is like that is a that is like a, a super interesting point, Jared. That like it's the assumptions the assumptions made all, all, all already ooh, and put ooh. forward as if it's 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 already undoubtedly sure that that's the road that you would want to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, Evan, I wanted to ask you is is in terms of the way that the way that we have grown, especially, and I, I kind of think over the past five, six, seven years, I feel like society, you know. Although no doubt there is um, a shitload of uh, further work to be done in terms of acceptance and being um, open and inclusive in, in, in tons of areas of, of society and life, um, I do feel like there's been an immense amount of progress over the past five, six, seven years. Um, and I'm wondering, in terms of, do you find that, do you find that that is that the progress in the medical world and and people's people's care in the medical system is is advancing and or progressing <clears throat> in direct in relation to social like social progress by and large or is it lagging behind do you know like in that in that like when 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 we're having this conversation and saying hey we should be we should we should talk differently about the way that people are the way that people are um the way that cancers are gendered and the way that we talk about them in terms of gender a lot. Um, is that, is that something that, that when that gets proposed and talked about in medical circles that it's like, Hey, is everybody saying, Hey, that makes a lot of sense. Or are people saying, Hey, we're, we're not really, we don't really think that's the right direction to go. Like, is there pushback in the medical community? Um, like more so maybe that there isn't in society at large. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say that there isn't, uh, I don't think there's pushback particularly, um, but I would say that when you look at um, people who study things like you know, knowledge translation, say that it takes about 20 years um, between what, you know, finding something in, in research and that actually becoming a reality or people instituting that mm. in some way in, 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 in healthcare. Um, mm. And so it takes, that, that's, this process of knowledge translation takes about 20 years basically to go from research to implementation. Um, and I think that we're in that, we're in the middle of that right now where we do, we, we have the research, we, we have the knowledge of understanding things like gender diversity. We know about it. Um, but it hasn't translated itself yet into, into the medical community. So I wouldn't say that there's pushback. Um, I would just say that it's we're in that process of of waiting for the, the knowledge translation to move from research to implementation. Mm. And I guess Ooh, there's also like an age an age thing um, in that as well, where where um, you know, like I see it, it, it having conversations about having conversations about the gay community or um, the trans community. I mean that that is a different conversation when the three of us have that conversation than when I have it with my mom and my and dad i mean there's a there's an age gap and like there's just a it's just a different conversation i guess that will i guess as well as younger people start to move into the healthcare system more and more and older people start to retire i mean i guess that is also i mean it's probably a big reason why there is that sort of like 20 year um shift like there's just people and how they interpret the society and the world around them that are now going to be like occupying these jobs over the next two decades. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, can you, can you tell us about queering cancer? What is, I, I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times now. We haven't even touched on it. Uh, what is queering cancer? How did it start? Uh, so queering cancer 
um, started because uh, there was a, a, a call um, from the, uh, the CIHR, the Canadian Institutes for Health Research, um, and there's a call out uh, for people who want to do a, a project um, somewhere around um, LGBT, etc. health. Um, and so the three of us, um, uh, myself and, and Megan and Amanda, um, we all respond to this call and we end up uh, at a uh, what they call a hackathon or a design jam. Basically, they bring all the people who have proposals together in one spot. Um, and we end up together in Vancouver. Uh, it was, I, I believe, uh, February 2018. And... Um, and we came together at this uh, at this uh, this conference uh, design jam in Vancouver, and the the three of us all had various different uh, interests in uh, some kind of cancer research. So uh, Megan's uh, research was in uh, gay men and prostate cancer. Um, my research was in looking at, at at queer and trans people and how they made decisions around cancer. Um, and uh, Amanda's research um, was in looking at how uh, at, at 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 queer radiologists and and providing care and experiences in providing care. So we all had these different interests that were related to queer and trans and cancer, you know, in that, in that, in that realm, in that intersection. And, and so we came together and decided, uh, okay, what are we going to do? Um, and it was, a, it was a, actually a really uh, fascinating, it's one of my favorite parts of the entire project is just the way that we decided what to do. And mm. we, are all, we all have these various interests, and we, we figured, uh, what is that intersection that all of us come together in all of our research interests? And that intersection was around looking at how it was that cancer, uh, the gendering of cancer and how that was, you know, challenging or creating issues for all of the people that we've been, we've been working with and researching with. Um, and so there was a, there's a, a project uh, or a, 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 I'm not sure quite what to call it. Yeah, a project um, called Look Good, Feel Better. Um, and a lot of folks have heard of this. This is, uh, it's, it's a project that usually uh, for women uh, going through breast cancer or something, something along those lines where they, you know, they've lost their hair from chemo or they, you know, mm. their eyebrows. And so Look Good, Feel Better is this project that is, is meant to, uh, to, to make people feel better about themselves, show them how to put on makeup so that they don't look like they have cancer or, you know, that mm. sort of thing. Um, and there's some, some problematics to that because it only really serves a very narrow, uh, a, a very narrow scope of, of of femininity and what it looks, what, what it means to be feminine. And so, in talking about this this project, the three of us went, you know, we should we should design something for 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 queer folks, for trans folks, like because what what femininity looks like, what beauty looks like, um, is a much wider scope in in the queer and trans community than it is in this very narrow uh, look good, feel better type mm. of. Uh, Type of uh, approach, um, and so so yeah. So we decided, what can we do? And the the project was born out of that. Um, it was the idea of of providing some sort of support that allowed folks to access information um, uh, from their own community about how to feel better. Um, in is probably one of the most challenging periods of people's lives in going through a cancer treatment. What was the what was the reception like? I mean, like was there was there quite a bit of um you know, again, we were talking about gaps in, in, in cancer care. Like this seems like a, quite a big gap. So I, I assume there was, there was quite a bit of, um, quite a bit of praise from the community. Um, well, I mean, it's, 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 Interesting to say that because, uh, like with any website, you know, you you start it up and you you hope people are gonna are, are gonna find some use in it. Um, but you know, it's 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 it takes a while. You know, it takes time mm-hmm. for people to to actually have that trust and know that the the you know things are gonna be there. Um, 
And I think that was that was one of the things with starting the website is we knew that it would take a certain amount of time for people to 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 create community in, in yeah. on, online. What what kind of resources are there? Like what what does Queering Cancer offer? What is on the website? So there's there's three main um, sections to the website. Um, there's a, basically there's a, a, an information uh, area where people can go and look up things on. There's a, a library um, kind of thing where people can go in and search things. They can um, they can search it by you know by type of cancer. They can search it mm-hmm. by community or identity that sort of thing. Um, so there's a, an informational section. Um, there's also a, a section where we have uh, people personal stories. So um, we had folks uh, uh, write things for us. We've also linked to other, uh, other places on, online, like blogs and so forth, um, where people talk about their, their personal experiences, either with treatment or, or so forth, um, and, and, and also with, with uh, their experiences in uh, uh, actually accessing care um, and what that felt mm-hmm. like for them. Um, and then there's a, a third uh, a third section. So there's information, the stories, um, and then the third section is around community. And so there's um, a, a whole bunch of, of uh, 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 sort of air, um, uh, what are they called? Uh, uh, like like uh, um, I can't remember. I can't remember that. But there's basically we have uh, the community forums where people can go and sort of buy by their their area of cancer treatment. So if they're just just newly diagnosed or perhaps they're you know in end of life care or so forth, so they can go and find uh, community forums where they can talk to people who are also in the the same uh, in the same area of treatment. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Brian. I'm, uh, I'm imagining. Um, I, I know that we're talking about sort of like the organization, what the organization does, but I'm, I'm really sort of interested in, in your personal experience mm. with, with um, being a part of starting Queering Cancer because I think of, you know, hosting this podcast and talking to all of the people who live with a variety of illnesses and hearing their stories. And, and I'm imagining providing a place where people feel like they belong and that they can find support in times when they're dealing with some of the scariest moments of their lives. I imagine that you hear quite a few stories from, from the people that you're supporting that, that, that really move you. I mean, I was like thinking of the support that you're providing makes me a bit emotional. And, and I'm wondering what that experience has been like for you. Like how rewarding is it to be a part of, of creating something that makes people feel like they're not alone in the struggles that they're going through. I mean, at the end of the day, if we have one person who accesses the site and gets the support mm-hmm. that they need, it was all worth it. Right. It's, <clears throat> and, we, and we already had that one person. Right. But like, it's, it's, it, <laughs> no, it, you can it, retire then. <laughs> I'm done now. That's good. I'm out. <laughs> um, Is there but, any stories that stick out to you though, that, that of people who have found support and, and like Jer was, you know, reading, a bit of, of what people have written in through the website, but is there anything um, personal for you that, that has stuck out so far? I, I think the number one uh, piece that stuck out for me is we had, um, we had somebody who wrote into the site and said, oh, hey, like there's, you know, there's forms for this, that, and the other, but there isn't a, a form for them. Uh, somebody was writing and asking about uh, genetic and hereditary cancers and was mm. saying, oh, like, you know, can we add a, can we add a form for that? Um, so we're, we're adding that form this week, um, just to, to address that issue where folks, you know, they, they, 
you know, they, they know that they have a genetic disposition. They know that there's some, you know, that, that, that they're going to get cancer in their lifetime and they're living with that, you know, with that, that reality uh, ahead of them. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's, it's those simple, small things of knowing that the site is useful to somebody, knowing that someone found the site and said, Hey, there's this, some, there's, there's something that's missing here and, and just wrote to us and said, can you add a form for this? And so we'll be adding this form on hereditary cancers. Um, and I think that for me, that's one of those, those standout pieces is that not only is the, the site useful for someone, but that they also can foresee something even more useful and are able to say, Hey, can we add this? Um, and so for me, that's, that's the piece that, that, that feels, that feels the best about it is, is knowing that the community not only sees it as useful, but sees the website as something that, that we can, we can build on and create, uh, create even more forms. Um, mm-hmm. and so yeah, that's, that's one of the pieces that sticks out for me is that, uh, that, that it, 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 even just talking about right now kind of brings a smile to my face, right? In, yeah. in thinking about the idea that folks can see it, they know that it's useful and they feel that, 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 that trust that they can ask us to, to add something to it. that will be even, even more useful for them. Mm-hmm. I think the, 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 the power of a community like that is, is, is really, um, remarkable. But at the same time, as I, as I, as I think of you sort of talking about that, that, um, community feedback loop where it creates a, a better and more supportive system. That's great. But like, it's not just the community that needs support to support itself. It, it, it sort of like has to expand beyond that because, the reason why there has to be that community in the first place is because people don't feel like they're included in the system that already exists. And so I I guess, is there, is there a lot of work that you're doing to, to influence the system at, at, at large and try to create um, a shift outside of just making people feel welcome within the queer and cancer community and actually change (coughs) the way that the system supports people who have cancer diagnoses? Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Going back to kind of what you were saying earlier about um, that sort of the, the the pressures that the medical community has around you know expectations, um, you know, will will people do, undergo reconstruction or you know, breast reconstruction, that sort of thing. Um, and I think that that's uh, that's one of the, the key pieces is in looking at what what is the narrative that the medical community has um, around expectations for how people will you know how, how people will undergo treatment or what decisions they're going to make around that. Um, and that the, the expectation of that, that narrative, I think, as you're saying, that's what we need to, that's what we need to shift a little bit. It's mm-hmm. not just within the community, but it's also, you know, as a, as a, as a medical approach to cancer, um, about what, what do we expect people are, are going to, to undertake as treatment? And what are the, what, what are the, the major decision making markers, um, in that treatment that we can actually open up space for, for people to, to make decisions that work work better for them as opposed to the, you know, the, the, the narrative that we expect people to undertake. Mm. Uh, I've got a bit of a personal question. Um, <clears throat> what, uh, why cancer? Why can't like uh, as a PhD of, uh, in the department of language and, and literacy education, what, what, what brought you to where you are now? Is there, is there a connection to cancer that made you want to take your research in, in that direction of, of, cancer diagnosis for, for, uh, for the gay and, and, and trans community or how, like, how did you get here? 
<laughs> so, so my, uh, my, my research interests are primarily in looking at the health, healthcare as an institution. Um, I, I'd say that I'm an institutional ethnographer, so it looks at, I look at how it is that the institution of healthcare uh, uh, organizes itself, how it is that it, that, what, what discourses inform it. Um, and so those, that, that's my, my primary interest. Um, in, in terms of, I always wanted to, to look at, at, at healthcare as an institution. Um, and when I came to my PhD, uh, it was that, that project I mentioned called Cancer's Margins that I, that I was working with. Um, and I wanted to, I was accepted into the, into the PhD program to, to look at, you know, look at trans and, and at healthcare generally. Um, mm. and so the, 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 the piece about cancer just, it was, it was a, there was a, a project that was funded that I was, I was able to get, get a part right, of. Right. Um, and once I was part of it, it was, it was so fascinating to me. And I, I really became very personally invested. Um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've had people in my life who've had cancer as, as most of us have. Um, you know, that uh, if you look at the stats, about 50% of people will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in their life. So, you know, mm-hmm. that, <laughs> if it's not me and I haven't diagnosed with cancer yet, but it's, you know, somebody else on this call, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be at least two of us on this call. So if you start to, to do the numbers on it at the end of the not day, it. it's not, no, not you. No. Okay. We're still waiting. <laughs> <Not it. laughs> Yeah, no Jared. one wants to be it on that one, eh? <laughs> Those games. So you can't get any I got no room for cancer, man. I'm, I'm, I've already got. I've already got CF. I, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I am out. <laughs> Touch wood. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's, 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 it was a numbers game, and once I became like really invested in looking at it, I realized like if if it's not us, it's our partners. It's our. It's our. You know, it, it's. We're all dealing with the reality of cancer, whether we like it or not. You know, mm. every decision we make, like it's it's so it, it's it's. The word cancer is like in, it's it's insidious in everything that we do. Yeah. You know, we yeah. all take our vitamin D pills or whatever, or you know, we don't drink decaf or you know, whatever. We make all these different decisions in our days, and so much of the time we're making them around cancer, and we don't talk about it, but but we mm. do, and, and it's it's a constant decision maker every moment of the day. Uh, you know, do I do this? Do I do that? Do I, you know, drink this thing, not drink that thing? Do I take that pill? Do I, you know, what kind of shampoo do I use? Does it have sulfates? Right? (laughs) Like all of these things that, that we make these decisions based on this idea of whether or not we're going to get diagnosed with cancer. And it's a constant, it's a constant in all of our lives. And so once I started in this, in this world of, of cancer research, it was, it, 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 I, I couldn't turn away from it because I realized it was what we're all dealing with on an everyday basis. We just don't right. think about it. Right. I, I, I guess before, before we do wrap, I, you know, I, first of all, thank you for the work that you do. And, and, uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we're getting more of the word out there on queering cancer and, and all the resources that queering cancer has to offer. Um, but what are your, what are your hopes for the, for the future of queering cancer? Where would you like to see things go? I, I would love to see this evolve in a, a lot of different ways, but um, the most important thing to me is that it becomes a st- sustainable community in some way. Um, mm. You know, if you look at Reddit or, you know, things like this, there, you know, there's online communities, uh, that, that exist that are, that are, are, are self-sustaining. You have people who are really invested. You have people who want to see the, the community, you know, continue to, to move forward and are, are willing to moderate and put forward their, their, their expertise. Um, that's what I'd like to see. Um, I'd love to see us be able to have the capacity, uh, to, to 
to have things like um, uh, live sessions where we could have um, a nurse or a nutritionist or whatever and have mm. people be able to log in and ask questions in real time and, and have that kind of uh, uh, real time support. Um, I'd love to have that that kind of connection. Um, but the most important thing to me is that the that the site is uh, around and available to people and that the community can make uh, can make of it what, what they need to make of it. Um, it's, mm. you know, it's one of those things that <clears throat> you, you put it out there and you don't ever really know if it's going to be helpful or useful to folks. Um, but, but, but over the long run, um, I'd love to see that, that, that the site is, is there and there's moderators, um, that can, that can continue to, to provide information for folks. Um, and that, that especially our, our information section, um, we, we currently have, uh, just around 200 or so, uh, resources. I'd like to see that library expand and, and, mm. and, you know, infinitely. Mm-hmm. Well, again, uh, Dr. Evan Taylor, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for taking time out of your day today to sit down and chat with us. And uh, for folks who are interested in checking it out, that is queeringcancer.ca. Uh, I highly suggest you take a moment to go over there and scope it out, even just to read some of the stories. Because, again, that was <clears throat> one of the things I did before we sat down to chat today. And it, it was it was really, like for myself, an eye-opening experience. So. Um, Again, thank you so much, Evan. This was really fun. Thank you very much for having me. Well, there we go. That was fun. I hope you enjoyed that. Folks, it is time to say goodbye. But before we do, there's a few things we want to tell you. We come at you every single week, Mondays and Fridays. And if you want to listen to the show, you can listen to it anywhere you find fine podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CBC Listen app. Uh, and uh, we highly suggest you do that. And hey, if you're on Apple Podcasts, I think you can like leave reviews on there. We love reading your you thoughts, so yeah. leave a review. And if you have any fan mail or corrections on any of the intensely idiotic things that we say on this podcast, please send them to letters at sickboypodcast.com. And if you've got a crazy story of your own, a crazy health story that, uh, and, and you want to be a guest on the show, go to sickboypodcast.com slash contact, and you can submit an application to be one of our amazing guests. And if you're uh, submitting those corrections, if you could actively try to correct Taylor or Jeremy for once, um, that would be great. That, I'd really that would be it. more challenging. But please, <laughs> I accept the challenge of you. Give me to do a that. break. Give me a break. Uh, and uh, as always, I'd like to thank probably the number one person who is my favorite person to work with. Uh, that that would be myself. Second favorite would oh, be uh, Lauren Sankey. You're an, an amazing uh, co-producer and co-host of the Feel Good Friday episode of the show. Are you guys going to pay me when I get my vaccine? You shut up. You uh, shut your mouth. Shut, <laughs> shut your mouth. Maybe, maybe in kibble. Don't you dare uh, open your mouth on this you. podcast. Oh, that's my favorite. I love kibble. kibble. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Uh, thanks to uh, Taylor and Jeremy, who also co-produce the show. Uh, another huge thing. Thank you and shout out to Jeff Lonis for being our uh, grandpappy and to Donovan <laughs> the Meerkat Morgan for the Monday episode edits that you do. Jer, uh, thanks for editing these shows. And thank you to Rich O'Coin who plays the amazing jams that we use for the theme music and also plays a good game of Warzone in Verdansk. That is it for this week. <laughs> I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. 
I'm Lauren. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.